0: To get started, visit plushcare.com weightloss weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: There's a lot of reasons why a person might be messy. And that's why a lot of sort of one-size-fits-all organizing solutions don't really work for everyone because we're all different. Some people maybe grew up in an environment where no one ever taught them how to organize Or maybe they grew up in an environment where their caregivers were so strict and anal about cleaning, that cleaning and tidying almost feels like a punishment to them. So there's a lot of reasons why a person could be messy. And in fact, there's nothing wrong with being messy.
0: Hello and welcome to the Not Perfect Podcast, a show that explores the mind, soul, science and health as we speak with world leading experts each week. I'm your host, Poppy Jamie, a best-selling author, entrepreneur, and happiness researcher. Life is not straightforward, so join me as we navigate being human together and become what I like to call flexible thinkers. I believe that curiosity and education is the route for more happiness, love, connectedness, and the doorway to unlocking your unlimited potential. I hope you join me on the journey. On this week's podcast, I have KC Davis. She is a licensed professional therapist, author, and global leading speaker. She is the creator of the mental health platform Struggle Care, where she shares a revolutionary approach to the self and home care for those dealing with mental health, physical illness, and hard seasons of life. KC's own home descended into chaos when she began suffering from anxiety and postnatal depression. She also received a late diagnosis of adult ADHD that shed additional light on why everyday care tasks were so difficult for her. Now she's a speaker and advocate for mental health and recovery. Professionally, KC has worked most of her career in the field of addiction in roles such as a therapist, consultant and executive director building on her work encouraging more self-compassion. Casey devised the powerful practical approach that has exploded in popularity through her TikTok account. You may be familiar with the ad domestic blisters. The secret is to stop following perfectionist rules that don't make sense for you. And as you know, this podcast is pretty obsessed about that. So just like folding clothes that don't wrinkle anyway or thinking that every room has to be clean all the time and to find creative solutions that accommodate your needs pet peeves daily rhythms and attention span her latest book how to keep house while drowning it's a gentle approach to cleaning and organizing and making it delightful
1: at the same time what is a favorite quote you like to return to often and why so one of the reasons why most of my career was in addiction is because I actually experienced drug addiction at a very early age. I ended up in long-term rehab when I was 16 and I was there for 18 and a half months. And because I was under 18, I couldn't check myself out. And there was no like end date. It wasn't like, oh, a 30 day stay, a six month stay. It was like, you live here until you get healthy enough to leave. I really fought for my life, and it was difficult for me to kind of get it and progress and make the breakthroughs that I needed. It was a slow, painful journey. I had a therapist, and her name was Sheila. She one time gave me this card that had a quote on it, and it was a proverb. I I wish that I could remember kind of where it was sourced from, but it said, in order to discover new lands, one must consent to lose sight of the shore for a very, very long time. I have never, ever forgotten that because there was this place that I knew when I was in my addiction and there was a place that I wanted to go. And I wanted so much for that experience to be, you know, okay, you have one foot on land and you just you want to put the other foot on the other land before you take your foot off of this old place. That wasn't my experience with getting sober. And that hasn't been my experience with really a lot of the major transitions in growth. You don't get to wait to have your, you know, your left foot on the good place before you take your right foot off the bad place, so to say, you know, I know that's really reductionist, but this idea that this lostness that I felt, where I felt like every day I knew less, every day I was more unsure, every day I felt more out to see, that that was actually progress, and that I had to sort of take this leap of faith to feel as though I was free falling, if I actually wanted to get to the other side. And I don't think we talk enough about that in-between stage of growth where you just kind of feel like you're flailing. God, I
0: appreciate you bringing that up. I just, you're right. I find that so often we're hearing about people arriving in recovery and this is how I did it. And you're right. We so rarely just talk about that often horrendous feeling of swimming, 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 and you're like, where is the land? And it's such a beautiful metaphor that you bring up too.
1: Well, and it's really influenced where I, as a therapist and as a, an advocate, want to do my work because one of the reasons why the title of my book is How to Keep House While Drowning. And when you get into the book, you sort of find out that there's a lot of people out there that will help you get to the surface, right? There are a lot of people out there that will teach you how to swim. I like to think of myself as someone who is interested in teaching you that you can breathe underwater. You don't have to get better to feel better. You don't have to reach your goals in order to grow where you are and get some relief and begin to build some contentment or joy into your life. You don't have to get better to start to relieve your suffering. And most importantly, you don't have to get better or make progress to deserve to take care of yourself. Wow. I mean, that idea
0: that you don't have to wait until your goal has succeeded in order for you to feel okay. It's such an important message. And one, again, we don't hear it enough. We're told more about writing lists of goals and where we want to go to. And yet so few people are talking about, as you are, life skills, literally like survival skills when you're in the messy middle, which we probably find ourselves far more in the messy middle than we ever do at crossing that shiny gold plated finish line. Mm -hmm. Wow, okay. Can't wait to dive into this book even
1: farther to go into that. But before I do, what's a recent life lesson you've been reminded of? I've been actually doing a lot of anti-racist work recently. When I joined TikTok, one of the things that it's brought into my life is it's such a different platform than other social media platforms because other social media platforms, Rick, you're adding people to your stream or your feed either because you already know them in real life, right? You meet somebody at the park, oh, let's friend each other on Facebook or you're seeking out some influencer you've heard of somewhere else, TikTok is a little bit different for those of you who don't do TikTok, where you know your feed is actually generated for you. You can follow people and see their content on purpose, but your feed is generated for you. And so that allowed me to really kind of get into spaces where Black men and women and Indigenous men and women and people of color were having discussions about their lives and about their experiences in a way that I could just listen and learn and... When I first started hearing these discussions, I was participating a lot. It really sort of pushed me to pull back and say, okay, I think that there's probably some listening that I need to do before I start participating. I ended up getting into some anti-racist classes, doing some reading, and, and actually beginning to have a more diverse circle of acquaintances. As somebody who has ADHD and is extroverted and loud and, and you know, messy in more ways than one, I'm that person, my report cards always said, you know, you have such great leadership potential. I just wish you would lead people in the right way, right? So I've just always been sort of a very vocal person and a very passionate person. And learning that there is a time in which that I need to be quiet and listen, has been one of the themes of big lessons that I'm learning over the past year or two.
0: Yeah, they, I love that quote where it says, you know, you have two ears and one mouth, and we should listen double the amount of time we're talking. But such a, a beautiful example of um, how powerful that can be for, you know, these tremendously positive social movements that are happening. And thank you for inspiring us to also take the position of listener. And how do you understand the soul?
1: You know, it's interesting. I had somebody ask me the other day um, in, in referencing, you know, when I was in my addiction when I was about 16. And they said, you know, do you feel like you're the same person? My answer to them was immediately like, no, I'm not that person. Like every cell in my body has become something new. And when I think about the soul, there's this interesting connection. Because although I feel as though I am a completely different person today, Everything from you know what I want to the way that I operate is different. But there's this like golden thread that connects me to that person in such a way that when I show her compassion, even looking back on her, I benefit from that. I'm somehow getting the benefit of showing my past self who I am not anymore. I wouldn't know her if I met her today. She may not even like me if I were to meet her today. But there's been this golden thread of who I am. And no matter how much I change, it's what connects past me, present me, and future me. And the way that I treat all three of those sort of versions of myself always comes back to benefit me today. So that's kind of how I think of the soul. It's this piece of me. And I don't even really think of it as being conscious because, again, like consciously, almost every way that I operate is different than when I was 16. And and it may be different again at 50. but. It is this piece that holds me together through all my different versions. You know, I kind of think almost that like if you were to string up the little snowmen that are all connected, you know, there's this line that runs through it and basically entwines all of our fates together. Beautiful answer. Love the idea of all the snowmen being tied up together. Well, and I think it also goes to show that like when I am hating my past self or when I'm afraid for future self it's very difficult to have peace. And the way that I treat those sort of other versions of myself affects my soul. So true. It's so true. And it's a really
0: interesting way of looking at it. And definitely brings us on to talk about your work in general, and also this new book, because you could have written about a number of different topics. You've had a really fascinating journey
1: to this point. So why did you decide to write this book. This book and this TikTok channel and, and this whole platform was really an accident. It's a happy accident. When I started TikTok, you know, I got on just to distract my mind. I had just had a baby. I was suffering with postpartum depression. I hadn't yet been diagnosed with ADHD and I've always been a messy person. When the pandemic hit and we all went into lockdown, I, I had a three-week-old baby and a toddler that hadn't even turned two yet. We had just moved into a house that was bigger than the previous house. My husband had just started a new job as an attorney. So he's working seven days a week. And here I am in this house with these two kids. I can't leave. I'm postpartum. Nobody can come visit me. I don't have family in the city. All of, I mean, my messiness was pretty functional most of my life. And then all of a sudden it wasn't like all of a sudden the house gets totally away from me nothing is functioning i'm struggling to have clean dishes i can't seem to get laundry done it looks like a little minefield of toys and things and anyone that's ever had a you know a 22 month old knows that it's like anything they pick up just gets dropped on the ground and i'm stuck trying to breastfeed in one place and she's sort of tearing through our open concept house one day i was on tiktok and i got a little bit of time to clean up and I've always cleaned in the same way. I have to kind of come up with these little like games and hacks because I feel overwhelmed when it comes to cleaning up a big, overwhelming mess. And one of the things that I do is I tell myself that no matter how many things are in a room, there's really only five things. Trash, dishes, laundry, things that have a place and things that don't have a place. And I kind of go through those categories. So I go and I get up all the trash and then I go through and get all the dishes. And once I've gone through all five of those categories, the place is tidy again. And I filmed myself doing this and I talked about it and I thought to myself, do I really want to put this on the internet? Will people judge me? Will this even be helpful? You know, this isn't really that profound, but I did it anyways. And the response that I got from that video really blew me away. It was so many people saying, I'm so relieved that somebody else's house looks like mine. It was people saying, this is the only tip that has ever helped me clean. Like this has just changed my life. I've tried my whole life to get past feeling overwhelmed. And this is the only thing that somehow hacks my brain into not feeling overwhelmed. And then the third response was, I've had so much shame my whole life over being a messy person. And seeing you put this on the internet makes me feel like I'm not so alone. And that's kind of where it started. And because I am a therapist, when I began to interact with people and talk more about how can we take care of ourselves in our homes, I really brought that kind of therapist background to bear where I started talking about sort of our emotional relationships to our space. And I just started answering questions and as I was talking, these ideas sort of started to form in my mind. They started to think about I came up with sort of like six main concepts that I saw people asking about. And eventually I would get somebody, you know, who would pop in and say, well, what about this? And I would want to say to them, like, well, just go back to the beginning and watch all the videos because there were these foundational concepts that I was trying to talk to people about, self-compassion and kindness and future you and and your anxiety around your space. That you really have to get a foundation before you move on to now how do I organize my closet in a way that works for me. So I decided to write the first edition of my book, which was just a little bitty 60-page self-published book. And I really just wrote it thinking, well, if somebody wants to give this to someone, or if somebody comes to my page and they kind of want to get caught up – and and I didn't expect the book to blow up. And it blew up so much so that I had publishers come to me and say, listen, this could really be something. Let's, let's beef this up. Let's do a second edition and let's expand it. Let's put in more examples. And it was perfect timing because by that time, two years had passed and I had really fine-tuned a lot of the concepts and techniques that I was talking about. And it's so cool to be an author who got the opportunity to almost field test the things that I was saying in the book, because I got so much feedback from people saying, this really worked, this helped, this has changed my life. I'm confident of its kind of life-changing qualities.
0: Why do you think there is so much shame around mess? Because I totally identify with all of those people that were messaging you and also your, your earlier self? And also what makes someone messy and what makes someone not?
1: Because I would just love not to be a messy person. So I think one of the, one of the key features in both of those questions is that there's really multiple answers. Like there's a lot of reasons why a person might be messy. And that's why a lot of sort of one-size-fits-all organizing solutions don't really work for everyone because we're all different. I know for me, when I discovered that I have ADHD, that is a huge part of why I'm messy. So ADHD affects a certain part of your brain called your prefrontal cortex where your executive functioning happens. And one of the things in executive functioning is called working memory. So working memory, it's not long-term memory. It's not short-term memory. It's literally like this holding tank where if you get a piece of information, you hold it in this little holding tank until you figure out what to do with it. You might file it in short-term memory, You might file it in long-term memory. You might decide, I don't actually need this information and I'm going to let it go forever. For a lot of people, like when I talk to my friend who does not have ADHD, her working memory holding tank, think of it like a browser. She can have multiple tabs up at once. So she can be walking through and go, oh, look at this coffee cup from yesterday. I need to put that up. And so that opens a little browser tab. And then her kid could call her from the other room and say, mommy, I I fall and I need a Band-Aid. And so there goes another, my kid needs a Band-Aid. And she can go into the other room, take care of the Band-Aid. And then, so, you know, that browser X is out and the other tab is still open. I got to go back for the coffee cup. When I got diagnosed with ADHD, what I realized is that my working memory can quite literally only have one browser tab open at a time. So if I see a coffee cup and I go, ooh, that needs to go somewhere, and then my daughter calls me, I go into the next room, I open up a browser, it's going to X out of whatever browser was open. And so I'm going to finish with the Band-Aid, and then I'm going to go, what was I doing? And I realized that everything I did in my house, I wasn't actually remembering anything. I was only being visually prompted to do things. So I would feed my kids. They'd make a huge mess on the floor. And then I'd go and I'd get them dressed. And then we'd go and do something else. And then we'd go to the park. And then literally the fact that there was a mess all over the floor disappeared from my mind. And when I got home with my kids from the park, I'd see it and I'd go, okay, I've got to clean this up. I didn't realize that other people didn't operate that way, that other people were remembering, were filing it away, were holding it in that holding tank. So when I went from one kid... In a smaller house where, you know, you just see everything visually and you have one kid and you can kind of do to two kids, a bigger house, a couple of cats, everybody is clamoring for my attention and my needs all the time. Anything in my hand that I set down, I immediately forget about unless I see it again. That's why I am messy. That's why I've always been messy. I'm also kind of a creative person. And so when I get into a project that I really like and really enjoy, and then I sort of lose interest, I'll move on to the next project really quickly and kind of leave things out there. And then some of it has to do with when I feel overwhelmed. There are certain things that kind of overwhelm me if I see the dishes and I go, oh, I'm overwhelmed by this. I'm going to avoid it. And so that's why I'm messy. But some people are messy for different reasons. Some people maybe grew up in an environment where no one ever taught them how to organize. Or maybe they grew up in an environment where their caregivers were so strict and anal about cleaning that cleaning and tidying almost feels like a punishment to them. And so now that they're on their own, they kind of have this, well, this is my autonomy. I don't have to do this anymore. And, And so I think it truly just comes down to personality, background. Some people are struggling with mental health. And so they're feeling depressed. They're feeling anxious. They are feeling overwhelmed. Some people feel as though they don't deserve to be taken care of. So what's the point of doing the laundry? I don't even deserve clean clothes. There are people that have chronic illness or physical disabilities that the reason they're messy is because they just quite literally don't have the time or energy or bodily ability to clean up mess as fast as, you know, the people in their house are making it. So there's a lot of reasons why a person could be messy. And in fact, there's nothing wrong with being messy. I actually think
0: that's a really interesting exercise to question. Just by addressing your cleaning habits, it's actually a real route to healing, probably at a, as you've said, you've heard this now from millions of people.
1: Yeah, and I think that, you know, when we first determine, like, there is nothing wrong with being messy, some people who are messy, like that's all they need to hear. And they go, Oh. And <laughs> any distress they have about their home, literally like a hundred percent of the stress and guilt and shame about their home was just feeling as though it was wrong of them to be like this. And so it just evaporates the moment they go, I'm fine, I could live my life however I want. And, and and they just go on in their happy lives and they don't think about it again. But there are people who will say, Okay, I get that it's not a moral failing to be messy. But like, I'm still experiencing distress in my home because it's not functioning. And so that's why we really want to move it from this, you know, messy is a problem and we need to fix it. It's not. It's really that your home needs to function. Because truth be told, there are people with messy homes that are fine. Their home functions. And there are people with really tidy homes whose homes are functioning. But there are just as many people with tidy, perfect, immaculate homes that are in deep distress and anxiety about their homes, as there are people with very messy over-the-top homes that are in deep distress about the state of their homes. That's why I always say that care tasks like cleaning and dishes and laundry, they're morally neutral. They're not connected at all to your character, and they're not even really connected from a general sense to any given person's state of happiness or distress. You know, you might identify that, you know, one of the reasons why I'm so messy is because I don't have enough storage in my home and messiness isn't moral, but I also like can't find the things that I want. So I need something functional to change. But another person might say, okay, I I know where everything in my home is. Everything is perfectly organized. Nothing is ever messy, but I can't sit down and play with my kids without thinking about what a mess we're making. That's not functional either.
0: Before we return to more wisdom, I have a little gift for you. I've partnered on this episode with a product I use every day, AG1 by Athletic Greens. I started taking AG1 because in just one scoop, you are absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. It's definitely very green, but with a squeeze of lemon or in a smoothie, it's perfect. I've noticed my energy levels rising and I feel much clearer mentally. It's a small micro habit with big benefits. So if you'd like to try it too, then excitingly, Athletic Greens are going to give you a free- one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash notperfect. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash notperfect to upgrade your health and pick up the ultimate daily immune-boosting energy-upgrading scoop. So one thing you talk about is that cleaning and tidying can be seen as an act of kindness to
1: your future self. Would you mind talking a little
0: bit more about that? So
1: because so many of us grow up with this idea that being clean and tidy is a moral obligation and that if you are not doing that and if you're not doing it all the time, you know, there must be something wrong with you. You must have this moral character failing like you're lazy or you don't have work ethic. And for many of us who were socialized as women, that gets deeply ingrained into another level about who would want to marry you. (laughs) You know, you won't be a good mother if you're bad at this, (laughs) right? And so it's deeply ingrained into our sense of gender and whether we are good enough at our gender. And so it becomes this identity crisis of, you know, well, if I'm not good enough at my gender, who will be attracted to me? Who will want me? And we very quickly get to a place from I'm messy to I'm unworthy of love. And so that immediately centers our motive and wanting to get better at care tasks from a motive of shame. I don't want to feel shame like this. I want to be good enough. We're quite literally trying to achieve worthiness through getting better at home care tasks or or self-care tasks. And it doesn't work for most <laughs> of us, right? And, and if we do pull it off, then we're just like anxious on the other side because now we have to hold it all together all the time. And so one of the first kind of shifts in this paradigm that, that we want to make is instead of seeing care tasks as these external standards of how to be good enough at whatever role or identity or gender or, or that you have, instead recognizing that the only reason to do care tasks is to care for yourself. That's it. And that you are a person who deserves to be cared for, regardless of your level of functioning. Instead of looking at my kitchen and going, oh, look at what a disaster it is. I need to get up and go clean it because I feel so much shame looking at it. Because if I don't clean it, I'll feel like I'm lazy. And instead looking at your kitchen and going, you know what? Tomorrow morning, KC deserves a kitchen that functions. Tomorrow morning, Casey deserves to get up in the morning, have you know milk cups that are clean so that she can make breakfast. She deserves to know where her medication is. She deserves to be able to have enough room to throw trash away so it doesn't pile up onto the counter. She deserves to not have bugs. She deserves to not have bacteria or mold. She deserves to walk into the kitchen without little crumbs sticking to her feet. She deserves all of that health and safety and comfort and even happiness. And once we shift our motives for what we're doing around our house to being a person deserving of kindness, a lot of those motivation problems get easier. We start being kinder to ourselves. And that in and of itself, that sort of realm of self-compassion, self-kindness is backed by a ton of research at helping us gain more psychological functioning in all areas of our life. Couldn't agree more. I mean, as they always say, tidy
0: house, tidy mind. They're so inextricably linked. And so this is why I find your work really fascinating. So you have a five things tidying method. Would you mind talking us through that?
1: Sure. So I referenced it earlier where I talk about, you know, when you're looking at a big mess, oftentimes we get overwhelmed by the thousands of things in the room. And so when we break those into just five different categories, and we get a trash bag and we just pick up all the trash. That's it. What this does for me and what this does for many people is that it takes that decision paralysis away. So if I'm trying to just tidy by picking up the first random thing in front of me, I've reached onto to my desk and I've picked up a thing. Well, first I have to decide what thing to pick up, which sounds like a not a big deal, but like that's a decision. <laughs> so I pick it up. Now I have to look at it. And now my brain has to tell me, what is this thing? Well, these are my AirPods. Okay. Then I have to think about where do these AirPods go? If they have a place, I go, oh, they go over here. So I have to go put them there. God forbid they have a place in a different room because then I'm going to go into that different room (laughs) and then maybe get distracted and never come back to this room. And the worst decision making is if they don't have a place at all. Because now I got to go, well, where should I put these? Should I create a permanent home for them? Should I just set them to the side? Should I, like all of these little micro decisions. And when you're someone who, you know, I referenced executive functioning earlier, ADHD is not the only condition that affects these executive functioning because the other parts of executive functioning are time management, prioritizing, task initiation, And so whether you are struggling with mental health or just stress, chronic stress, sleep deprived, all these things can really sort of lock up those executive functionings. So for me, that's what makes tidying overwhelming. That's what makes it take so long. That's what makes it feel distressing and stressful and random, right? Whereas if I have a holding a bag and I have a category, I'm going trash, 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 trash. And my brain goes into this autopilot, one stream, one browser tab, and I'm putting all of the trash into my trash bags. And then the key is I don't ever, I don't take the trash out. I put the trash down in that room. I'm trying not to leave the room, right? And then I get all my dishes. I put them in a the sink. I don't do the dishes. I get all the laundry. I put them into a laundry basket. I don't do the laundry. And then I go sort of place by place, right? So now I come back to my desk. There's no trash or dishes or laundry on it. So now the only kind of items on my desk are things that have a place and things that don't have a place. Well, so I can look and go, okay, well, this has a place, this has a place, and it's a pretty one-step decision to put that thing back in its place. And in the end, I'm going to have a pile of things that don't have a place. This is the hardest category, which is why we save it to the end, because this is where I have to start thinking. This is where I might have to, you know, purchase a little tray or a bin or go through all of these things. But I can also call a friend, put on a Netflix show, like do some more enjoyable things. And it's all contained so that if I need to come back to it later, my space is already livable.
0: I love your focus on helping people with process really practical steps they're so deeply helpful what are your thoughts on okay so I'm podcasting right now I can look directly into my kitchen and I can see that I have not put anything away from lunch like the milk is still out there it's right in front of the window it's probably warm and it's probably going to go off because that has been in front of a very sunny window all day how do we like just put away things
1: as quickly as we brought them out mm this is such a great question. I'm so glad you asked. First of all, I did that last week <laughs> where I left the milk out and I was like, oh, now I have to throw this away. So I think the first thing is to recognize what is the problem with the milk being out? Because when I look and go, oh, often I'm going, God, I'm so stupid or oh, I've done it again. So we want to identify where we're really engaging in self-critical talk around that because the issue with you leaving your milk up out has nothing to do with your character. It's literally just a functional issue. It's just a functional issue that now you don't have milk and you'll have to spend money on more milk. Like that's it. It's just a functional issue that we need to fix. And what is not helpful for many, many people is to push sort of what is the sort of neurotypical messaging, which is, well, just clean as you go. Right. Thank you, Susan, but that's not an answer. Like that's <laughs> right. that's not an answer. <laughs> You're literally just saying, well, just don't do it next time. <laughs> it's literally that answer. It drives me nuts when people say that. Or like some people will say that that what helps them is, is they kind of chant to themselves, don't put it down, put it away. Don't put it down, put it away. I can tell you that if that helps, great. That has never helped me. So for me what that looks like is creating these rituals that give me times in my day and very specific instructions for going on autopilot to get things back, right? So I will still occasionally leave a milk out, right? But like my favorite, five things tidying is a ritual. Closing duties is one of my favorite rituals because it allows me to sort of close down the kitchen every night In such a way where I just literally pick four or five things on a list. And I actually started with one thing. That's what I recommend people start with. Every night at the same time, right when my kids go to bed at seven, I go into my kitchen. And remember, this is based on I deserve a functioning kitchen tomorrow. And I unload and reload my dishwasher. I clear off half of my kitchen island. I do not need a whole kitchen island to function. I need about half of it. And then I sweep just the little galley in my kitchen. And then I take my medication. That's it. That's literally what it takes for me to get a functional kitchen. In this way, I'm not worrying all day about, you know, am I, did I start the dishwasher? The dishwasher gets started in my house every single day at the same time, regardless of how many dishes are in it. And this is what works with my brain. And so this is what I mean when I say we seek out rituals that work for us, rhythms that work for us, and we look for adaptive imperfection.
0: My last question is really for the people who are listening, who go, all right, Poppy, but I am a tidy tilly and actually to the extreme, I can't stop tidying. So how on earth do you also then balance that to ensure that home becomes a place of rest? And I see this with my parents. I go home like to go visit them and there's always a to-do. They're always on their feet. They're always doing. And I'm like, guys, just chill out. Like You have earned your seat in front of the TV watching a movie, but yet they're still like, no, 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 we've got another job in the house
1: to do. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I have so many thoughts on that. <laughs> I think that <laughs> beginning to pay attention on what's going on in our mind and our body when we do things gives us a lot of good information. And and one of the things that I talk about is that rest is not a reward. No, Rest is a right. Rest is a need. A lot of us grew up sort of believing that to go and Play or rest before your obligations are done is being irresponsible. I understand why our parents taught us that because, yes, like I I do want to teach my kids to be responsible, but I think sometimes that messaging, you know, it's fine when you're a kid because your obligations are finite. Make your bed, clean your room, take your dish to the sink, and you're done. So it's no big deal to go, yes, I should do those things and then go play. But when you're an adult, all of a sudden, make your bed is not just make your bed right? All of a sudden these care tasks are these infinite lists that are constantly cycling and they're never ending. And if we're still taking that idea that if I have to get every single thing done before I have the right to go, or I'm being irresponsible. And most of us member have this deep wound of worthiness. So we're trying to avoid anything that makes us feel like we're not being a good person or a good enough person. We're not really going to let ourselves sit down and play and rest or do nothing unless we feel as though we've earned it through however productive we've been. So really addressing where those messages are coming from, reorienting what you believe about rest. And I think the other part is that, and I see this, I'm sure there are men that this happens to, but I see it a lot with women and people that were socialized as women. I think that anxiety disorders are massively underdiagnosed and people that were raised as women because for some people, when they if you focus the symptom of your anxiety on something that happens to line up with what is considered socially valuable about your identity, you will then be praised for the amount of anxiety you have. If your home is always perfect, always tidy, always beautiful, if you're always doing home-cooked, only organic from scratch foods, if you're always doing all of these things... People are likely to look at you and go, wow, I don't know how you do it. What a good mom. What a good wife. What a good adult. What a good homemaker. And there are maybe people that can do that from a place of joy and freedom, but there are certainly people doing that from anxiety and stress and perfectionism. And it's sort of masking how anxious they really are. It's masking how much trauma they're really dealing with. And what I like to say to people like that, is that you deserve better tools for your mental health than keeping an immaculate house. You deserve to have a house that functions and makes you happy, but you don't exist to serve your house. Your house exists to serve you. And so there's a difference between I like to putter, I like to project, I like to go out and do things because that makes me happy and upgrades the functionality of my home and I can't sit down for a movie with my loved one because I can't turn my brain off and that really distresses me or I feel like I have to justify my downtime so I can watch TV but only if I'm also folding laundry. And I just want to say to people that if you feel like you're working for your home and it's not your home working for you you deserve a space that is serving you. And being tidy is no more morally superior than being messy is morally inferior. And so I think this idea of moral neutrality really frees people on both sides of the continuum. And we really want to get back to this idea of resting as really giving ourselves permission to be, not just permission to do. I want to bottle
0: that answer up. It was just so well said and so well explained. And I really, really appreciate this points about moral neutrality and something that we really haven't discussed that much on the podcast. So I really appreciate you for that bringing that to our attention and also just writing this book and your wonderful work online. And it just doesn't cease to amaze me how powerful it is to look at the simple things in life. You know, we don't need to be climbing Everest to find the greatest healing in the things that we do every single day. And we do it without even thinking. Thank you so much for your work, Casey. How can people best find you? What platform? I know. I mean, her TikTok is, if you're not even on TikTok yet, it's a reason to sign up for the platform. But if you are on TikTok... It is an absolute must follow. And I will put that in a link in the show notes. But how else can people find you and
1: hear you talk more and ask questions and all the rest of it? So probably the easiest landing page is my website. It's strugglecare.com. On that website, you can link to my TikTok, which is at Domestic Blisters. You can link to my Instagram, which is strugglecare. You can also see my book and pre-order that book or order that book. Um, I will have a podcast coming out sometime this year. And so that's kind of the main hub, you can go and see everything there. I've got a shop with some workbooks, and some printouts that can help you that go along with that book. And so that's kind of the easiest place to see everything. There's also a ton of free resources on there. About cleaning, tidying, hygiene with hacks. So, there's tons of free information on that website, as well as ways to link onto all of my various things. I even have an online course about how to clean out your depression house that takes you step by step through a house that, you know, maybe has overwhelmed you after a period of survival or mental health episode. How to keep house
0: while drowning it's on pre-order it's honestly super easy to read you can read it like within a few hours so it's just excellent it's not overwhelming at all and wish I had it many 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 years ago so thank you so much for joining us on the podcast you've been a total delight thank you so much Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Not Perfect Podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would deeply appreciate it if you wouldn't mind subscribing and leaving a review, and perhaps maybe sending it to a friend who also might enjoy this episode. I can't tell you how grateful I am for those that share this podcast on their social media or with friends because it helps the show reach more listeners. I'd absolutely love to hear from you. So if you've had any thoughts or you want a specific guest coming up in future episodes just let me know shoot me a message on instagram or twitter it's just at poppy jamie and so until next time stay flexible stay true to you and stay leaning into love